0: This is Alex Moore, lead pastor of New Life Community Church in Kansas City, Missouri. Thanks for taking time to listen to this message. For more information or to donate, visit newlifekc.com. Well, hey, we are in week number two of the series that we kicked off last week called In the Waiting. And as we talked about last week, no one likes to wait. And this is the time of year that we have to wait in line about everywhere we go, and we hate waiting in line. We also hate waiting on other people, but probably most frustrating is when we have to wait on God. That life has maybe thrown you a curveball, and it's not going how you anticipated, and there's pain, and there's struggle, and there's anguish, and there's strife, and you have prayed and asked God to do something, but now you're just waiting for Him to fix things or to come and to meet you where you're at, and it just seems like, how long, God, will it be until you come? How long do I have to pray the same prayer over and over again? And in the midst of that waiting, it's really easy, if we're not careful, to lose our joy. Instead of being excited about life, it just, it's wearing on us, and we're in the waiting. We lose our peace. It seemed like everything was going to be okay, and my confidence that it's all going to turn out okay is beginning to to fade away. And so in the waiting, we have to be so careful that we don't lose hope. And so last week, what we did is we looked at a passage in the Bible in Psalm 13, where King David actually found himself complaining to god it was a psalm of lament a psalm of complaint and he was asking god this question he was saying how long god do i have to wait for you to show up how long do i have to sit in this problem that is how long until you show up but he exampled for us something that we all need to know is that even though sometimes we're in the waiting there's still a reason to praise God. Even though God may not be showing up right now as you want him to, let's never forget that God's been good to us in our life and he's been good to us in our past and there's still a reason to praise him. And so last week the encouragement was this, is don't let seasons of waiting prevent you from praising God. We still gotta bring the praise because he's worthy and even if God never shows up and meets us in the way we want, in the end, in eternity, it's all going to be made right. It's all going to be okay. And that's our confidence, our hope as Christians. Now, now this week, I want us to look at waiting not so much as this nuisance and this frustration or this irritation to our life. But, but there's a different sort of waiting. You guys know what I mean? It's the type of waiting where you're looking forward with anticipation to something. It's not waiting in the dentist's office that's not anticipation. That's dread. You don't want that dentist to come in there and you don't want to hear what's happened. Side note, I hadn't been to the dentist in eight years. Yeah. Some of you are like, what? Yeah. I just, you know, there was no pain and there was no reason to bring any pain on. Becky's shaking her head. She works at a dentist's office. Like, who are you? So I warned Missy. I was like, I'm going to go. We may have an expenditure coming that we didn't anticipate. I don't know. And so I went to the dentist, and he came in, and he said, hey, what can I do for you today? I said, hey, I just haven't been to see anybody like you in eight years. He was like, really? That's pushing a decade. I said, yep. He said, well, let's see what we find. And he said, wow. He said, you're better than most patients who come in here. And I was like, say it again? He was like... He said, I don't really see anything we need to do. He says, you have maybe a small cavity? He said, I could fill it if you want, or you could just go home. I said, hang on, i got to text my wife. <laughs> no big expenditures. I've been brushing my teeth. Anyway, it has nothing to do with anything. But when you're waiting for the dentist, that's not a good type of waiting. But there's a type of waiting that is a kind of a positive type of waiting. It's that waiting that something's coming, and you know it's going to be good. And you just can't wait for it to get here because once it gets here, you know you're going to be real happy. It's, it's the kind of waiting that kids have the night before Christmas. It's it's an excited waiting, like Santa's coming, there's going to be some presents in the morning. I don't know what they're going to be. I'm just excited, and I can't wait to go to sleep. And the waiting, it's not a dreadful waiting, but it's a hopeful waiting. And and maybe those are some words that we should use. Maybe hopeful waiting would be a good way to categorize this more positive type of waiting. It's not a nuisance, it's not a dread. Um, I like this, waiting expectantly. Oh, I'm waiting and something's come. I'm expecting it. Or, or how about this one? Waiting eagerly. I can't wait. So when I was a kid, uh, my parents had, uh, it was Christmas time. I was probably second, third grade. My parents had bought me something. I don't know what it was, but it was in a box. And the box was so big it wouldn't fit under the Christmas tree. It was huge. And in my eyes, I remember it being like this tall. And so it was set right beside the Christmas tree. It was nearly as big as the Christmas tree. And of course, wouldn't you know, in school, they had a writing assignment for us. And what our writing assignment was, was that we were supposed to write about a present that was by our tree. And so I was like, yes, I'm going to write about the massive box that's by the tree. And so uh, they wanted you to describe it. And so I was like, all right. It's bigger than me. It's a huge box. In fact, it was so big, my parents didn't even use wrapping paper on it. And so I don't know if wrapping paper costs more money back, you know, in the 90s, but uh, they didn't wrap it, but my mom found old wallpaper actually in the garage, and so it had wallpaper all around this big box, and it wasn't enough to cover it, but it was enough to get the idea. So I'm writing at school, and I can only imagine what the teacher's thinking, because I'm writing about this wallpaper-covered box, and so then the teacher's like, well, what do you think might be in it? Do you think it's a heavy box? Do you think it's light? What do you think? Oh, man, my little mind was racing. I was like, oh, man, it might be like a new bicycle. It was big enough, but I could have new bike, in it, this is going to be great, and back in the days, in the 90s, like, street hockey was becoming a thing, I was like, maybe it's got some rollerblades in there, some hockey sticks, and it's got maybe, like, a goal and the little round ball, I said, never know, you just don't, then I thought, no, I bet it's got a TV in there, and this is before flat screens, y'all, it was going to be a good-sized tube TV. I was going to be able to play my video games on my Sega Genesis. Come on! Sonic was going to be happening. And then I thought, no, the box is bigger than a TV would be. Maybe it's lined with all of the new Sega Genesis games all the way to the top. And not only does it have the games, it has the Game Genie. And some of you are like, what's the Game Genie? The Game Genie made every game so much better because you would take your cartridge and you would stick it in the Game Genie and it had every cheat code known to mankind and so you could win every game from then on oh I was writing my paper at the school it was gonna be so good so can you imagine how I felt it was a hopeful waiting it was waiting expectantly it was waiting eagerly it was so exciting and it was this massive mystery gift have you ever received a gift that just didn't live up to the hype Man, I was so excited that Christmas morning. I ran down the stairs. And of course, what's the first gift? You're going to open the massive one? I've been thinking about it. I've been writing papers at school about it. I opened that thing, and I reached down in there and pulled out a beanbag chair. (laughs) And it wasn't just any beanbag chair. It was a beanbag chair that had a beanbag footstool, and and that was it. So when I went back to school, all my friends were like, what was in the big box? It was a beanbag chair. (laughs) Really? Yeah, really, really. It wasn't even cool. It was just maroon. It didn't even have like a character. It was just, it it was a deal. I had this same type of hopeful waiting and waiting expectantly, waiting eagerly for July 10th, 2010. See, July 10th, 2010 was going to be my wedding day. In fact, it did become my wedding day. And so it was a good thing. Um, but in the days leading up to it, and the weeks leading up to it, um, man, there was a, a hopeful waiting, an expectant waiting. Man, it was, it was an exciting time. See, I'd grown up in church, and so I had people who loved me and said, hey, you know, if you want God's best, here's how God designed things. He designed sex to be awesome, but it's supposed to live inside of a marriage relationship. And I said, really? I said, well, okay, I want God's best in my life, and I want God's best for my marriage. So Missy and I committed to following God's way, so there was no sex before marriage. So, so guess what, man? When you are waiting, it is a hopeful, expectant, (laughs) eager waiting. Okay, so I felt that you've had these moments in your life in which there's this different type of waiting. It's it's an excitement. And, And what we need to realize is in the Bible, when we start to look at the Israelites, they had this type of waiting going on. You see, there was a promise made to Adam and Eve in the garden when they screwed everything up. God said, I'm going to send somebody to make the world right again. He's going to forgive you. He's going to set you free from this bondage of sin. Fast forward in time, Abraham shows up, who's like the father of the Israelite nation. And God reaffirms that it's going to be through his lineage that this Savior, that this Messiah is going to come. Like, it's good news. And so every generation wondered, is this the generation that God is going to deliver on his promise? Is this the one where this Savior of the world is going to come? And so generation after generation, through the kings, through the prophets, through hundreds of years, every generation had an eager, hopeful expectation that maybe in my generation, everything's made new again. Maybe all the things that are evil in the world are set right. And so they had this excitement, this waiting for this Savior to bring freedom from sin and evil, to bring life from death, to bring hope from despair, to bring peace in the midst of strife. They were waiting Expectantly, And we read in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 5, and this is such a good verse. But when the time was right, that would mean that God has a timetable. God's looking at time, and that if there's a time that's right, guess what? There's probably a time that it wouldn't have been right. It would have been wrong. But at the right time, God sent his son, and a woman gave birth to him. What was her name? Mary. And his son, whose name was Jesus, you guys are tracking so good, obeyed the law so that he could set us free from the law and we could become God's children. It's exciting. It's incredible. The people were waiting with anticipation. But there were some who felt the same way I did pulling that bean out of that massive box. They saw Jesus But he wasn't what they thought he was going to be. They had envisioned him being a certain way. They had anticipated how he would be. In fact, they anticipated a political leader coming to change the world. Some of you guys have that wrong belief too. Our world isn't made right through politicians. Okay, They thought Jesus was going to come and upset Caesar Augustus who was ruling the world in this Roman oppression, and he was going to come and be the king like King David was and get rid of all the evil in the world. And so they had their eyes fixed on what they thought he was going to be, and when they saw him, they thought, beanbag, this is not what I had in mind. What is this? He was born of who? He doesn't have any pomp and circumstance. He didn't come with money. He didn't come with nothing. Who is this guy? But the truth is, at just the right time, God did send his promised one. He did arrive in a stable in Bethlehem to a virgin named Mary. And it's what our Christmas story is built around. It was an exciting story. It just wasn't what they had envisioned. Now, have you ever wondered what happened after Mary and Joseph had this incredible night in which Jesus was born and they're in like with these animals and he's being placed in the manger and then angels are shouting you know to people like strangers in a you know they're shepherds and saying hey there's a baby born and they got excited for some reason and then they ran and they found this baby and like what happened after the shepherds left and Mary and Joseph went to sleep what happened the next day they weren't discharged from the hospital because they weren't in a hospital they woke up the next morning in Bethlehem. How long did they stay in Bethlehem? I mean, she'd just given birth. I've been around a few people who gave birth. They don't want to do a whole lot the next day. You know what I mean? Like, hey, Joe, why don't you take care of the baby? <laughs> it's pretty interesting when we actually begin to look in the Bible and say, what happened the day after? What happened after they woke up in Bethlehem? Well, according to the Bible, it would seem that Mary and Joseph stayed in Bethlehem for over a month. Remember, that's not their home. They were there to take a census because that's what they were required to do, but it appears that they stayed there for over a month, 40 days to be precise, and I don't know about you, but I hope some space opened up in the inn during that time, otherwise they're just getting cozy with those animals. 40 days they were in Bethlehem, and according to Jewish law, it was on day number 8, that Jesus would have actually been given his name and that he would have been circumcised. But Mary would have had an additional 33 days to fulfill the Jewish requirements for her purification after giving birth. So after her purification time, Joseph and Mary and Jesus traveled six miles from Bethlehem to Jerusalem in order to visit the temple. That's where the temple was located. And what they were going to do there was they were going to offer a sacrifice that the law required for people who had just given birth. They had to go through 40 days of purification. On day 41, they could go and they could offer this sacrifice. And in Leviticus 12, 6, it says that the required sacrifice for a mother would be this. They should bring a one-year-old lamb and a young pigeon or a turtle dove. But it says that if they couldn't afford that sacrifice, that was too much money that they could offer two turtle doves or two pigeons instead. And as you're going to see in our text today, we're going to be in Luke chapter 2. Mary and Joseph were apparently strapped for money and couldn't afford the sacrifice. They were low income. In case you need to know some people that are low income, Mary and Joseph were. And Jesus was being raised in that environment. So check this out. This is Luke chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 22. And it says that the time came for Mary and Joseph to do what the law of Moses says a mother is supposed to do after her baby is born. So they took Jesus to the temple in Jerusalem and presented him to the Lord, just as the law of the Lord says each firstborn baby boy belongs to the Lord. The law of the Lord also says parents have to offer a sacrifice, giving at least a pair of doves or two pigeons. So that is what Mary and Joseph did. Now, before we move on, I want to make a point very quickly. And that is just this. Do what you're supposed to do. Do what you're supposed to do. Don't make excuses. I could imagine being in Mary and Joseph's position and saying, you know what? I'm a virgin and I just gave birth. I don't think I'm going to go and do all that temple stuff. I had angels come and talk to me. Come on. Like, if there's an exception to the rule here, it's me. But Mary and Joseph did not feel entitled. They did not feel as though that they needed special treatment. They did what they were supposed to do. And I think sometimes we like to make excuses for us. Everybody else should do that, but not me. But Mary and Joseph actually did what they're supposed to do. And in fact, later in the Bible, we read that if you do what you know is wrong, that's sin. Don't do that. That puts separation between you and God. And Mary and Joseph said, you know what? We're required to do this, and we're not special. We will do what we're supposed to do. So we continue in Luke chapter 2. And here's what's cool. We're going to be introduced to a new character in the next verse, and his name's Simeon. Check this out, verse 25. At this time, a man named Simeon was living in Jerusalem. What are the chances? And Simeon, who was this guy? He was a good man. He loved God and was waiting for him to save the people of Israel. Now, you want to talk about a good biography, It is short. It is concise. Simeon was a one good man. He loved God, and he was waiting expectantly for the Messiah. That same verse, if we were to read it in a different translation, in the New Living Translation, it says this, that at that time there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. This wasn't a drudgery waiting. Man, this was that Christmas morning. I can't wait for the Messiah to come. Man, I I would hope that those three things would be in my biography. I was a good man, I love God, and I was waiting for for Christ. Don't you know he's coming back a second time? Like, there's the first time, the second time. I I would love to be identified by those things. We'll, We'll continue reading. It says that the Holy Spirit was upon him, upon Simeon, And had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Come on, now that's a cool promise. He would not die until he had seen the Messiah. As a kid, I read this, because I grew up in church, pastor's kid, you had to learn about all this stuff, and I was like, how cool would that be? You got freedom to do whatever you want and not die. You go jump off a building, you're not going to die. You can go try some things that are risky, you're not going to die. And so I mentioned this to my dad as a kid, and he was like, son, you could be like laid up. Barely breathing, heart pumping, and just see him from far away. Like, you could be miserable in that moment. Like, you could be, like, God keeping you alive, but just barely. Like, you couldn't just take advantage of that type of promise. (laughs) Like, you know, it's like he always said, you know, I I could beat you within an inch of your life. That's not a pleasant experience. You're just that close. God could put you that close and keep you alive. Just I was like, okay. This is a cool promise, though. He would not die until the fulfillment of this promise that he would see the Messiah. But here's what it doesn't say. We don't know how long this promise had been going on. Did God make the promise last week? Was it yesterday? Hey, you're not going to die until then. Oh, good. How long? Was it a week? Was it a month? Was it a year? Was it a decade? How long was God keeping him alive? We don't know. But check this out. This is so cool. Verse 27, it says this. That day, the day that Mary and Joseph were going to the temple, that day... The Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there. And he took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace, as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people, Israel. And Mary and Joseph are looking at this old man, holding their baby, thinking, what is going on? Here's what the Bible says. Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them, Mary and Joseph, and he said to Mary, the baby's mother, This child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very soul. Oh, it's getting a little dark there, Simeon. So Simeon, he's, he's prophesying here and kind of in the Jewish Greco-Roman tradition, prophecies made a lot more sense later than they did in the moment. It was like, what? that got dark in a hurry. <laughs> Give me my baby back. Um, and so today, I don't want to focus on that last part of what he said, but rather I want to focus on what happened in this divine moment. The moment that the promise was fulfilled. Hmm. Simeon, this man, more than likely an old man, we don't know for sure. He was a man with a promise he would not see death until he had seen the Lord Jesus Christ. How long he waited, we don't know, but this is what I do know. In his waiting, he continued to follow God. In his waiting, after the promise was made, he continued to follow God. Remember it said that that day the Spirit led him? See, that day he didn't say, I think I'm just going to stay in bed. That day he didn't have an excuse to not follow God. That day he didn't know what that day was. It just seemed like an every other day moment. But that day as the Spirit led him, he obeyed. And even in the waiting for what God might have for you, we are all supposed to continue to obey there's no excuse to not obey. We're to do what we're supposed to do. And in the waiting, Simeon continued to follow God. Unbeknownst to him, 41 days earlier, a virgin had given birth just six miles away. He didn't know that. Unbeknownst to him, angels had declared to a group of shepherds that Christ had been born. He didn't know that. Simeon, on a regular day that looked like every other day, chose to follow the Spirit to the temple. He didn't make any excuses. And in the waiting, Simeon followed those promptings. The temple would have had many visitors. It was a big place. It wasn't small. It wasn't like Mary and Joseph were the only people there. It would have had a lot of foot traffic. There would have been a lot of people there. Mary and Joseph and their baby would have just been another family in the temple. They were not glowing like angels. There was nothing to indicate who they were. They weren't wearing a label that says, we just gave birth to the Messiah. They didn't have any of that. They were not wealthy. They didn't have money. They weren't dressed to impress. They were just common people in the temple on a common day. But what was uncommon is what God did for Simeon. See, God gave Simeon eyes to see what others could not. Others just saw a baby, but Simeon saw a Savior. He had finally seen the greatest gift in the world. It was Simeon's moment. He had seen the Savior who had been promised by God. And not just the Savior of Israel, but the Savior of the world. His wait was over. He received in reality what he had already received by faith. He saw the Messiah. This morning... I want you to know that before you ever arrived here today that you were already prayed for. And you know what the prayer was? Was that you like Simeon would have eyes to see the Messiah. See, I think there's someone here, maybe more than one person. And you've been coming maybe to church. You've had this interest in spiritual things, but you don't know what it is and And it's like all of a sudden you're beginning to have eyes to see that you need God. And you don't really know what that means. You don't know how that looks. But you know that your life is not what it ought to be. You know that you've been doing it in your own power and it's just kind of messed up. And you need help, but you don't know how to do it. But God has been guiding you. His spirit led you here. And you don't even realize it. But he's been so good to you to bring you here. And I believe that he's giving you eyes to see your need for him, maybe for the first time. And like Simeon, this is a day to rejoice. It's your moment. It's your moment to experience the best that God has for you. You don't have to continue to do it the way you've always done it. You will be forever changed by simply saying, yes, Jesus, I need you in my life. I can't do it on my own. Would you just take my life? If you've never stepped over that line of faith, you don't have an answer to all the questions. You're going to still have doubts. But it's that step of faith that allows you to encounter Jesus Christ. And his Holy Spirit meets you where you're at and helps you to understand how you're supposed to live this life. So the question today is, is God giving you eyes to see? Do you see your need for him? If so, let's take that step of faith today. Would you bow your heads with me? The truth is, is I can't give you faith, but I can give you some words to help you begin this faith journey. And if you say, you know what? I want all that God has for my life. I want God to forgive me. I messed up my life. It's it's not good. It doesn't even seem worthy to give him. Listen, he's, he's not so concerned about your past as he is your future. And your future is not messed up, and he wants to lead you into the best future you could have for yourself. If you say, I want Jesus today, here's the prayer. It's a simple one. You're just going to say, God, I give you my life. God, I give you my life. If you mean that from the core of your being, I believe that God is going to meet you where you're at. And yeah, it's true that that's just the beginning of a conversation and a new relationship that you're going to have every day with him. But it starts with this, God, I give you my life. If today you say, you know what, that is me. I'm praying that, Pastor Alex. I'm saying, God, I give you my life. I want his forgiveness of sins. I want him to control my life. I want him to direct it. I've made a mess of it. I want him to be in charge, and I have eyes to see my need for him. If that's you, would you just real quick, just raise your hand and say, yeah, that's me, Pastor. I want that. I want that new life. Thank you guys so much. God, I thank you for those who just raised their hand. God, I know that you know their story inside and out. You know the pain that they've had. You know their past. You know the struggles. You know their entire life story up to this moment. And God, you've been leading them to this specific time to encounter you. And God, I ask right now that you would express your love to each of them. God, that you would welcome them into your family, that they would see you as the perfect heavenly father wrapping your arms around them saying, welcome home, welcome home. It's never going to be the same. God, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your kindness. We thank you that you provide a new life. God, I pray for those right now who've put their faith and trust in you today, that that would not just be an emotional decision, something in this moment, but God, that they would say, no, I'm going to be different from this day forward. And I pray, Lord, that they would push into who you are, that they would recognize, God, that you are so much better than anything we could ever dream or imagine. As we continue to pray, I I just want to take a moment to pray for those of you who've been in church for a long time. Maybe you've just kind of found yourself going through the motions. You've been in church, you just, I go, I sing the songs, I do the thing, but, but you feel a disconnect. And you've been struggling to do what you're supposed to do. You've been struggling to follow God and obey Him even in the waiting If that's you and you say, you know what, I have been. I've been struggling to do what I'm supposed to do. I've been struggling to obey God in the waiting, but I want that to change. I want God's help. Would you just raise your hand and say, yeah, that's me. I just need to get going again and get my focus realigned. God, you see our hands raised. Lord, would you meet us where we're at? Would you help us to have a course correction? And Lord, may it not be in our effort, but may it be because you love us and because you are so good. God, I just ask, Lord, that we as a church and as a group of people who are gathered together, that we would begin to honor you, that we would begin to see you and keep our eyes focused on you and encourage one another and begin to live the life that you've intended for us to live. And Lord, may we be a light that shines to the world around who's also needing you, who's living in darkness, and may they be given eyes to see just like we have. And may you, God, forever be lifted on high, to where one day when we're in heaven, we can rejoice at the great story that you've written for each of our lives. God, I thank you for loving us. I thank you for being with us, and I thank you today for the salvation that's come to those who have put their trust in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, would you guys celebrate with me those who put their faith and trust in Jesus today? Come on. Thank you for listening to this message. For more information, please visit newlifekc.com.